Good morning. My name is Chris Cox, and welcome to National Youth Ministers Preach Day. Um, I'm on a Facebook group with a lot of different youth ministers from across the country, and there are a lot of us who are here while the senior pastors of our respective churches take a much-deserved Sunday off. So uh, I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, I normally would be hurting teenagers into Sunday school right now, so this is a little bit of a change of pace. But uh, it is still Christmas time which, uh, depending on how you feel about Christmas, is either a wonderful thing or something you're trying to get rid of. I know that some people, you have been eyeing your Christmas trees like it's a guest that just won't leave and you're ready to get it out of the house and move on. And there's some people that you would stretch Christmas out until as long as you possibly could. My grandfather would keep his Christmas lights up at his house until his birthday in February. So, there's all kinds. But it seems like the world at large pretty much moves on from Christmas pretty fast. I was yesterday sitting in Starbucks working on this sermon, had my journals and Bible commentaries, my computer there, and I was sitting there and I was trying to figure out what Christmas carol was playing over the PA system in Starbucks. And I was sitting, I'm like, I don't recognize this Christmas carol. What, what is this? It was girls just want to have fun. <laughs> and you know, that's okay because that's what they really want on, on, on. But, uh, but it's still, it was interesting to me, it was just evidence that the worst of the world has moved on from Christmas. And I'm glad that we as a church don't do that because it would be sad to talk about these Advent ideas of hope and peace and joy and love and then get to this moment where we reach Emmanuel, God with us, and then just go past it and forget about it. And so I'm glad that we get to linger a little bit longer at Christmas. And so in order to sort of ground us in that idea, I want us to take, go back to the stable. And I want to read something that will sort of uh, hopefully ground us in that moment right after Jesus was born. Mary heard the cry through a fog and forced her exhausted eyes open to see sunlight, drifting through a crack in the stable roof. She rolled over. Joseph was still gone. He had left during the last feeding to see if he could do something about their living situation. There's no way that we can keep on going like this, he muttered as he looked around their dilapidated quarters. Mary stared after him as he stooped out of the doorway. Joseph stopped and looked back at her. On the journey to Bethlehem, he had opened up to her about how he had almost left her. And Mary trusted him, but there was that small shadow of fear that made her worry that he might not come back. Joseph was the only one that she knew here in Bethlehem. They were miles away from home, from her mother, from her family. It was just the two of them, now three of them, in a strange town. They weren't even married yet, and Joseph did not sign up for any of this. Joseph looked at her in the eye. I'll be back, I promise. And Mary had to trust that he was telling the truth. Ever since the messenger turned her world upside down, she had to trust that they were all telling the truth. Her child cried out again, his wail competing with the bleeding of a lamb. Mary pushed herself up off the straw-strewn floor, still sore. Her body felt like it had been torn open. The pain of childbirth echoed with every move she made. Mary dragged herself over to a water trough to wash her face, to wake up. She saw her eyes dimly in the muddy water, and they were exhausted with rings underneath. She had barely slept. She had just drifted in and out of consciousness throughout the night. Every couple of hours, her baby cried out, needing to be fed, just like he needed to be fed now. 
She fumbled around and found a folded up piece of cloth and pulled out a hunk of stale bread. It was a gift from a young shepherd boy the night before. She was grateful for the present, not only for the food, but for the reminder that they and their story were not just some fanciful dream. Tossing and turning in the night, she had wondered if their tale of angels singing in the promise of her child were true. She tore a bite off. It was as real as the bread on her tongue. And that gave her hope. The story of the shepherds, her cousin Elizabeth's proclamation, the messenger's promise, they were her sustenance through these very difficult times. The baby cried again. The crying began to disturb the other animals in the stable, and a cacophony of noise filled the room and Mary's heart. She closed her eyes and let out a tired sigh. She didn't know anything about being a mother. She didn't know anything about raising a child who was supposed to save his people. Mary looked back down at the water trough and stared at her reflection with stilly resolve. As overwhelming as this all felt, as alone as she felt in that moment, she was not going to back down. She stepped towards the manger and gently lifted up her baby boy. He was so light and heavy at the same time. His eyes closed tight as a scream poured forth from his mouth. This was the Messiah, tiny, helpless, fragile. He was supposed to save his people, but right now, she was the only one that could keep him alive. God, she thought, what kind of rescue plan is this? She looked at his tiny form, and despite the distress, she had never seen anything so beautiful in her life. Mary loved him. She pulled him close, and the baby boy began to drink in life-giving nourishment. As the baby quieted down, so did the rest of the stable. All was calm. I always think about how many different emotions Mary and Joseph would have felt as they welcomed the baby Jesus into the world. Being a new parent can be overwhelming. I have two sons, and I still remember the day that we brought our oldest son, Jim, home from the hospital, and I was very unnerved by the fact that they weren't doing anything to make sure that we knew what we were doing as far as raising a child. Like, you have to go through multiple tests with multiple people just to be able to get your driver's license, but they're like, here, take a baby home, you'll be fine, and that's terrifying. And so I can't imagine what it would have been like for Mary and Joseph to take home a baby, their first baby, have to bring this baby, keep the baby alive, raise the baby, but also know that this baby was supposed to be the savior of the whole entire world. How on earth do you keep your wits about you when something like that happens? And that idea merged with this idea that I've been thinking about of what do we do with Christmas now that December 25th has passed? How do we grow up? How do we take these gifts of Christmas that we've been given, these Advent ideas that we've talked about of hope and peace and joy and love, and how do we nourish them and help them grow into our own lives so that we also don't leave them behind? And so I figured we need to look at what Mary and Joseph did, how they raised their kids, how they taught Jesus and brought him up and grew him up in order for us to learn more about how we can perhaps grow up as well. Um, and so, if we want, as Christians, to know what to do with our lives, the first place, the first person to whom we should obviously turn is who? Y'all aren't used to responding here, I can tell. 
Jesus. We're supposed to turn to Jesus in all things that we do. But if we want to learn about how Jesus grew up, that can be very challenging because there are very few narratives about what Jesus was like when he was growing up and how Mary and Joseph brought him up into the world. Now, if you want to go outside the Bible, there are some wild stories about how Jesus grew up. There's the infancy narratives of Thomas, where Jesus did things like clapped his hands and made mud turn into clay pigeons that flew away. There's one story where Jesus encountered a bully, and he cursed the bully, and the bully died. And the parents came to Jesus, and they're like, hey, why, are your, why is our kid dead? And Jesus made those parents blind. And then Mary and Joseph were like, you shouldn't do that. And then Jesus like, okay. And so he made the parents see, and the kid came back from the dead. Now, none of that is true. But I want you to know that it is out there. It's important to me that you know that there are some crazy Jesus-as-a-kid stories that exist out in the world. Now, as far as what we do actually have, we have these two uh, narratives, these snapshots that Anne read for us most recently. These stories of Jesus in the temple being dedicated as an eight-day-old boy, and then Jesus in the temple as a 12-year-old boy visiting with his family. And within these two stories, I think that we can see four concepts, two in each, that can help us learn how we can possibly grow from this point, where we can take these ideas of Christmas, the ideas of Emmanuel, God with us, and make hope, peace, joy, and love foster in our lives. Now, the first two concepts that are in the eight-day-old Jesus story, they go hand in hand. To grow in our faith, you and I need structure and spirit. When Mary and Joseph go to dedicate the eight-day-old Jesus at the temple, they are following their faith, their religious traditions. Moses commanded that firstborn sons were supposed to be brought to the temple and dedicated to God. Their faith had a structure, it had a form to it, and they passed this down to Jesus. They taught Jesus about their faith, their tradition. They taught him to love the temple. They taught him to love the stories of their people. And so they had this structure and form, this religious framework that they built Jesus' life around, but then they had the Spirit also. So when Mary and Joseph go to the temple, they encounter two people, Simeon and Anna. And Simeon and Anna are filled with the Spirit of God, and they come over, and this wasn't on the program, this wasn't in the bulletin, but they came over to Mary and Joseph, and they told them about how great their child was going to be. They told them about how he would be the rising and falling of many, that he would be the salvation of their people. And he told them that God would be with them. And can you imagine, as parents of an eight-day-old child, who isn't sure how you're going to do any of this, what it would have meant to hear these people come up to you and say, this child is going to be something special. And God is with you in the midst of all of this. They needed to hear the words of Simeon and Anna, just like they needed to hear the words of Elizabeth and the shepherds and Gabriel. So Mary and Joseph, they had form, they had structure, and they had this spirit, they had this heart. The structure, that got them in the door. And then the Spirit of God animated the experience once they got there. Now, there can be a tug of war between structure and spirit when we talk about our faith. When we talk about how our faith needs to have structure and form, it can sound very confining. As if there are like these rules and regulations and things that God wants to put over us. And so when I say that we need to have structure in order to grow in our faith, I'm not saying that you have to have this Rolodex of rules that you have to follow. Because I know that many Christians have been crushed by well-meaning people who've put a lot of rules on them that have just become too cumbersome. 
So what I'm trying to say here is when I say structure, what I'm saying is to grow hope, peace, joy, and love in our lives, it needs to have some sort of form, especially when we're starting out. Uh, the pastor and theologian Rob Bell, he puts it like this. He says, spirit needs structure and structure needs spirit. Some say, we're all just gathering in my house and God shows up and we all talk about our lives. Well, when are you getting together next? Oh, well, we're getting together next week. Okay, so you have some structure. There is some structure in every movement of the spirit. No, man, she just talks and we all learn and it's amazing. No, no, no. She has worked hard to articulate those things. The other six days of the week, she has developed disciplines and habits that cultivate something within her so that when she gets up, she can just talk. Growing in our faith, we have to develop these disciplines and habits and cultivate something within us in order for the Spirit to move and talk in our lives. Now, I'm not saying that we have to follow this map and then God will, will magically conjure God up in our lives. But what I'm saying is we do need to show up we do need to make our hearts available for God to move within us. We need the structure, whether it's showing up and being present here at church on Sunday, or taking time to pray and meditate each day, reading scripture, getting our hands dirty by serving others, practicing the presence of God in our everyday lives. Whatever we do, we need to have some sort of form to our faith if we want it to grow. And it opens the door for the Spirit to speak in our lives. Now, sometimes the Spirit may speak in a whisper. And sometimes it is the full-throated encouragement that you need to hear, just like Mary and Joseph needed to hear the words of Simeon and Anna. We need both structure and spirit. And so Mary and Joseph raised their boy Jesus with this. They taught them about their faith, but they also showed him the heart, the beating, pulsing spirit of God that existed within that form. And it obviously worked. Because when, when Jesus was 12 years old, they were going on a trip to the temple. Now, when they were leaving the temple, they walked and they assumed, they didn't see Jesus with them, but they assumed Jesus was, I don't know, he was with the youth group. And they were talking about the first century versions of memes or TikTok. I don't know what they talked about. Um, but they realized after a little while that Jesus was not with them. And they had already walked a day. And so they walk back for another day. And they look around Jerusalem for another day. And it takes this time to get to find Jesus. And they don't know where he is. Now, I will be honest, as a parent and a youth minister, this story terrifies me. This is my worst nightmare. Anytime I take a step off this campus with youth, I'm worried something is going to happen to them. Now, I have a very good track record. I've taken children to foreign countries, brought all of them back, batting a thousand. Knock on wood, it'll continue like that. I'm very paranoid about the next time I go off because I'm making this boast. But like, it, it stresses me out as a parent and a youth minister to read about this child missing for three days and they finally find jesus and he's at the temple and they said where have you been well didn't you know that i would be about my father's business i'd be in my father's house as stressful as it is luke obviously thought this was an important story to tell us he included it in there and so what two ideas in this story can help us grow first of all we see a hunger for the things of God. Jesus wanted to stay and learn from the teachers in the temple. Now you might say, oh, well, Jesus was the son of God, so of course he wanted to do that. But we have to remember that we believe that Jesus was fully human. And so Jesus can also teach us how to best be fully human. Jesus wanted to be about the things of God. He had a hunger for it. 
He wanted to be in the middle of it. He actually wanted to be a part of it so badly that he completely forgot to tell his parents where he was. And by the way, if you need any evidence that Jesus was fully human, not telling your parents what you're doing or where you are is very on brand for a 12-year-old boy. There's your evidence right there. Um, And so Jesus had this hunger for God, and that hunger didn't come out of nowhere. That comes from the structure of the spirit that Mary and Joseph instilled with him. Like, you do not become hungry for something unless someone has given it to you and made you taste it and see that it's good. In fact, the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in God. And so you see the structure and the spirit of Mary and Joseph raising Jesus, paying off for this great hunger that he has for God that it just makes him forget everything else, and he has to be a part of it. And so if we are to grow from Christmas, if we are going to nurture the hope and peace and joy and love of Advent, then we ought to have this hunger for the things of God. We grow into what we love. And that idea applies to all parts of our lives, not just the spiritual. If we have a hunger for something and pursue it, structure and spirit, form and heart, then we will see growth. And it's not always rapid growth. Maturity can take a really, really, really really long time sometimes but it happens step by step but you have to have that hunger first you have to have that hunger to grow the last thing that we need to grow from christmas is that we need a family that will not stop searching for us like mary and joseph did not stop searching for jesus there's a scene in the newest star wars movie and i want you to know right now that this whole entire sermon could have been about the newest Star Wars movie. I didn't do that because I wanted it to be accessible for those of you who had not seen the Star Wars movie, but I have thoughts, lots of them. And anyway, but there is a scene in this new Star Wars movie where um, a character named Poe Dameron has found himself thrust into leadership in a moment where the odds seem nearly impossible. Shocking, I know. But he is looking for any sort of advice he can get because he's not sure how these people that he's leading are going to survive. And so he turns to Lando Calrissian, a character from the original Star Wars movies back in the 70s and 80s, and he asks, how did you do it? How did you defeat an empire? Which I guess is a spoiler alert for a movie that's 36 years old, but um, how did you defeat the empire? And I'm guessing, I don't know if Poe is expecting like some sort of strategy of war or battle, like we did this with the Millennium Falcon and this happened, but that's not what he tells him. Lando tells Poe, we had each other. He had Luke and Leia and Chewbacca. They had a family and a community. And when you have people that you love around you, even the most astronomical odds can seem like it's something that's doable. You can face it if you have people around you that love you. Nothing seems impossible when you have that kind of community. Mary and Joseph did not let anything get in the way until they were back with their son. They searched high and low for three days, and they loved him, and they needed to know that he was all right. They needed to know that he was safe and sound. You and I are not meant to do this faith walk alone. We need to have people who love us, who would move heaven and earth to make sure that we're okay. Now, that family looks different for different people. 
For some people, it's flesh and blood. For some people, it's a family that you've made. But we need to have community if we're going to grow. Because we need that hedge of protection around us in order to become the men and women of God that we're called to be. So how do we grow in our faith? We grow together. So we need structure. And we need spirit. We need a hunger for God. And we need a family that will never, ever leave us. That, know, that shows us that we are loved. And I think if we take these things, Christmas can continue throughout the year. Now, you're not going to sing fa-la-la-la-la throughout all the 12 months. That would get obnoxious. But you can take the love, the peace, the joy, the hope that we talk about at Advent, you can nurture them and you can grow them and you can take this message of God with us, that God loves us so much that God came to be with us out into a world that desperately needs to hear it. And those things can grow and mature and nourish us. And they can reach out and bring life to a world that desperately needs it. And we can have Christmas throughout the year. Amen.